um, if I had to describe myself as a kid, I would say very much, um, I would say curious mm-hmm. and curious. Yeah, basically curious, but with not a lot of impulse control. Um, <laughs> so I've learned how to control my impulses a little bit better. So I, I think I, I, I'm a little bit less obnoxious. But as a kid, you know, <laughs> that, that came out in, in sort of some interesting ways. I know I have this uh, home video of myself. Well, it's not of myself. It's actually of um, it was like a, you know, like a kindergarten or grade one, um, pageant or, or play or something we were putting on and we were, uh, pretending to be a circus. So all the kids in the, in the kindergarten class, they were, you know, one was pretending to be a, an elephant trainer and he's training this kid who's dressed up as an elephant and they're, they're doing this elephant training routine and another kid is pretending to be a strong man and, and he's lifting these fake weights that are made out of tinfoil and I'm sitting in the audience and you can hear me uh, in, in the background. That's not real. Those aren't real weights. That's not a real elephant. This is fake. And kind of just being obnoxious. But, but um, at the heart of that, it was, you know, kind of that skepticism, like always questioning things. So yeah, I was. I grew up out there, um, probably uh, 60, 70 miles from the nearest city, which was where I went to university. But yeah, it was it was out there. What province is this in? Alberta. I think, I think like Texas of Canada. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the main industries are cattle and oil, and so a lot of the politics that come along with that, in a lot of rural lifestyles and things like that, um, you have that there. But you also have cities that are cosmopolitan, um, somewhat, and that's still very inland continental, but yeah. um, I had three siblings, and I was the middle brother, Okay. Um, and I had, you know, my, both my parents, um, and yeah, it was, uh, I would say, a pretty idyllic kind of childhood. You know, you have a big farm, there's lots of room to run and play, and, and be outside, and be outdoors. We you know, pretty, pretty standard life for, for that area. You know, you played sports and um, worked on the farm and, and, and did what you could, I guess. And I suppose I'm a bit of the typical middle child in the sense that, you know, I'm a bit, been a bit of the black sheep sometimes, I think. Basically curious, but with not a lot of impulse control. I was always in trouble um, because I was always asking why. And a lot of the time, people don't want you to ask why, especially not, uh, I think, in a lot of the places where I, where I grew up or spent time, um, they just wanted you to follow the rules. They didn't want to explain why the rules were that way, they just wanted you to follow them. Um, and I resisted that uh, pretty, pretty intensely for my whole life, and it, it got me into trouble a lot. Um, you know, A teacher would tell me to do something, and I would say, well, why? Why should I do that? Or why is this important? Um, 
I, I know now that it must have been uh, quite challenging for most people to, to deal with that. Um, but at the time, you know, that was that was the way I was. I wanted to uh, always know why. And I mean, I'm still that way. It hasn't changed. But I think I'm a bit more diplomatic about how I approach it. Was there anyone like during these growing up years, whether it be you know, as a kid, as a as a teenager, like middle school, high school, where someone, you know, as an adult or like authority figure, like was willing to humor or could kind of handle your curiosity and like not make you feel stupid and bad about it, but rather kind of, you know, redirect it or say, okay, this kid isn't a bad kid. He's, he's just curious. How can we do something with that? Um, hmm. was there anyone who sort of nurtured that curiosity? I mean, I think, I think my parents did for sure. Um, to the extent that they could, I mean, you know, they, my, my dad was a farmer and he worked a lot. And so that uh, comes with a lot of stress. And so I think a lot of the time, you know, I'd be out doing some work with him or, or trying to, and he'd be, you know, he'd be just trying to get the work done. And I would be saying, well, why are we doing it this way? Why don't we do it a different way? Like, maybe let's try it this way. And he said, just just do it like and and it would get really frustrated but I think for the most part in terms of my uh, curiosity about the world and things like that my parents always humored me and, and um, provided me with a lot of opportunities to explore um, I feel very fortunate to have been able to to travel as a kid like they would take us on road trips to see my grandparents who lived in New York which was a five-day drive across the country with four screaming kids in the in the vehicle which I, I mean that's incredible that they would have done that and and to me, I, I mean, I can't even get myself to places sometimes, let alone four screaming children. And uh, so they would nurture the curiosity in that way. And they would, you know, take us places to the, to the science center or other places where we could explore and, and learn things. And I think in, in that respect, they really nurtured that curiosity. Um, I feel very fortunate in that, in that respect. Um, and, and in school, I mean, it was difficult because it was a rural school and there wasn't a whole ton of resources for, for example, uh, for extra programming. If you were kind of somebody who, uh, I was somebody who would get my work done and then I'd be bored and so I'd be bothering the other kids and wanting to run around and, and doing these kinds of things. So there wasn't a lot of opportunity to just say, um, you know, do extra work or um, explore different avenues or extracurricular kind of opportunities. There just, there weren't those outlets. Did you have any ideas um, growing up in your younger years as to like who you wanted to be when you grew up or, or what you wanted to do or any, and they could be wild ideas, things, you know, that are, that maybe didn't end up, you didn't end up pursuing, but what were your, what were your thoughts on that, if any? Yeah, I mean... You know, obviously when I was a little kid, I, I had some ideas about what I wanted to be, but, you know, they would change all the time because as a curious person, I always wanted to know what was this like or what's that like or what would that be like, you know? And so I think I wanted to be kind of some of the standard things. I wanted to be an astronaut. I wanted to be a professional ice hockey player. I wanted to be a farmer at one point. I wanted to be, you know, a fireman or wh whatever it is that kids want to be. But I think the thing that sticks out to me... Um, I think probably from my teenage years, and, and I still think about this from time to time and what that would be like, but uh, I was always curious about what it would be like to be a journalist. Um, because 
I am so curious. I love to hear like what are people's stories and and what's going on. What's the new thing that's happening over there, or what's the um, situation in this country, and and how is that affecting things over here? I always wanted to know and and learn about new things, and that I think was a would be a way to always be constantly chasing new stories and, and uh, new outlets for curiosity, I suppose. Uh, in particular, I was really interested in, um, uh, I guess you could say like war journalism or, or um, conflict journalism. So kind of getting a bit of that adrenaline, being on the ground and kind of learning about like why are things happening the way they are and, and trying to tell that story to the world. Uh, I don't know why. I never really seriously pursued it though. Um, I think maybe at somewhere along the line, I just was discouraged that, you know, this is not a, uh, a lucrative route or a secure route or one that, um, is likely to result in what I want out of it. You know, um, I just heard a lot about a lot of people who, you know, obviously it's an exciting career and a lot of people want to do it. And so it's really only the a few that succeed and so I think I was discouraged by that and maybe also some other parts of it like having to meet tight deadlines and things like that it seemed really stressful and whatever but I still have an interest in it and uh, that's something I think about for sure where do you think your curiosity comes from where what drives it oh man I you know I don't know I think about this question a lot I think about is curiosity just some sort of kind of inherent trait is it something that uh is nurtured um where does curiosity come from i don't know uh, i feel like i've always been curious ever since i was a little kid i was always i mean i think we're all curious so maybe it is something that gets nurtured or or gets kind of beat out of you uh, so to speak but i was always always asking why all the time that's always been the most important question for me why or how or you know these kinds of things and yeah, I don't know. I don't know where it comes from. Uh, it's hard to say. Oil and gas is the big industry there, right? Yeah. So a lot of people go into that. It's very lucrative. I spent you know, time in oil and gas industry. I, I spent time in many different uh, labor jobs uh, throughout my career, I guess, I suppose. <laughs> um, but I, I never set those as a goal for myself. I really, my goal was to go to university. Um, and so that kind of motivated me, I guess, to go back and, and to upgrade or finish these courses and then get good enough grades that I could apply to university and, and get in. So then once you're going to University of Alberta yep. at Edmonton, um, did you have any idea as to what course or what like major, how did, how did that go and how did you evolve kind of over, over that period of time? Yeah, I, I really had no idea. Um, <laughs> I was kind of without a map, yeah. in, in, so to speak. You know? um, my mom didn't go to university. She, uh, she went to like, a community college and, and, and studied kind of, uh, uh, what is it called? like a paralegal kind of a thing, uh, something like that. And my dad went to university, but he studied, you know, he studied phys ed. 
and this was in the 60s and and he ended up going into farming right and so I don't feel like I had, you know, I didn't have a ton of guidance. There wasn't, for example, any sort of thing at my school, at my high school telling you like, oh, you should go into college and go to this program and, you know, make sure you go and talk to the academic counselor because they can help guide you as to where you might want to go. I really had no idea. Yeah. I was kind of, you know, just playing it by ear. And I got there and, you know, my dad had kind of told me things like, oh, you know, like a good job would be like being a lawyer. You know, you don't have to work with your hands too much and, and it looks like they make, you know, a good life. Uh, and that was my idea. Okay, well, maybe I should just do the bachelor's degree and I'll eventually I'll go to law school or something. I really didn't think about it all that much. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I did. I thought about it a lot, like what I wanted to study and what I wanted to be, but I really didn't have much of an idea of how to get there. And it really wasn't with any kind of end goal in mind. I was just sort of picking what was interesting to me and where, what I wanted to learn more why about. You know, why are things like this or... Um, what are the interesting questions about why is society the way it is or why are people the way they are? So it, from that respect, I guess it was that interest in people and the way things are um, as to why I chose those things. Were there any, were there any other you know, revelations or personal things happening during this time where it's kind of like you go in, you pick the classes that you're interested in, you get to the end, major in psychology. Was there any other, not that there has to be, yeah. Um, well, personal things going on at that time, I guess one thing I didn't mention was, uh, so two weeks before I started university, um, my dad died very suddenly. Um, he had had uh, oral pharyngeal cancer, and he, this happened maybe... Actually, I think that happened... He, we found out that he'd gotten that uh, actually before I got into university. Um and, you know, that was scary. But at the time, you know, I was, I was living around home and I was working at some random power plant uh, doing labor jobs and, and kind of staying close to home, helping out on the farm a little bit as my, cause my dad got pretty sick when he was doing chemo and stuff like that. But I remember thinking that, oh, you know, he's going to survive. This is going to be fine. Like, this is a totally beatable cancer. And so we didn't, we didn't worry about it as much, right? And we think, oh, he's going to survive. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't spend a lot of time uh, being young and, and not knowing about these things but you know I didn't spend as much time with him as I would have liked to had I known what was going to happen but uh, what ended up happening was um, you know he, he died really suddenly uh, right before two weeks before I was going to start university move away to the city and go move into residence and start university he died just suddenly one day uh I remember actually the exact moment that it happened, or not the moment, but the, the day I was with my girlfriend at the time and I was at her house and we were about to go on this trip and I get this panic call at my girlfriend's house from my mom who never ever calls my girlfriend's house, like and it was very strange and I pick up the phone and she's like, oh my God, you have to come to the hospital right now. Uh, your dad, it's your dad. And I was, you know, freaking out, jump in the car and just, uh, I was out of the city or out of the town at the time and I just jump in the car and do like 120 miles an hour to the hospital and actually beat the ambulance there because the ambulance had to come all the way from our house which was half an hour out of town and yeah he was you know he was already gone by the time I got there my family's there at the hospital and uh, you know um, yeah he had had a 
I mean, we're still not 100% sure. He had some sort of, maybe it was a blood clot or an embolism or something like that. Uh, and he just collapsed from the kitchen table. And, and you know, by the time he got to the, to the hospital, he was already gone. So, you know, I had about two weeks to kind of process that experience, which I don't think I ever did at that time, and then immediately move away for my family and uh, start university. Uh, and so I think that that also played into it, the sense that my whole world was kind of upside down. And, you know, I was trying to figure, find my way in the context of all of that happening. And, you know, in those two weeks where it's just like, like your world has kind of totally changed fundamentally. Mm. And was that a decision point? Like, did you compartmentalize and just like push forward without really processing any of it? And then if so, when, when did it, when did it come back up and you, you really like say, okay, this is, that was real. I need to like, you know, deal with it and like spend time at home or how, how'd that end up playing out? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I, if I dealt with it at all until like throughout university. Yeah. I think what happened was, you know, I just tried to not think about it. Yeah. I went to university and I was, I just got really focused on meeting all these new people and kind of building this new life. And, you know, I, you drink a lot or I was drinking a lot in university and I don't think I dealt with it. You know, I just threw myself into the university experience and, and focused on that as my way of kind of coping, I guess. And, uh, I don't think it ever really hit me until I was done university. Um, because then, you know, you get out of university and things are kind of unstructured and there's not this project anymore. You know, when you're going through university, you're thinking, okay, I need to do the next thing. I need to uh, pick my classes for next quarter and, and work on my classes and, and I'm slowly building towards this ultimate goal of, of graduating and mm -hmm. presumably moving on to whatever life I'm going to move on to after that. But uh, I got out of university and um, I was kind of drifting and uh, yeah, I was supposed to, kind of just drifting. I did a number of things in between. I, you know, I went and worked as a research assistant in the faculty of native studies, traveling all over the Northwest territories and doing some cool stuff and went to Africa for a little while and did an internship, you know, as, as one does, uh, and did some other things, but was kind of drifting and then ended up, um, doing some traveling and I struggled with for a really long time. And maybe I still struggle with is that where I grew up and in the culture that I grew up in, nobody talked about emotions or feelings or, or processing. Um, you know, I talked earlier about how Alberta is a bit like the Texas of Canada and where I grew up, you know, I grew up on a cattle ranch and I grew up in kind of a very, uh, I would say traditional culture. So traditional notions of masculinity and things like that, you know, feelings weren't talked about, emotions were not talked about. Um, nobody, I had no idea about the grieving process or anything like that. It was just kind of like, okay, well, you know, you have the funeral and then you have some time to grieve and people are going to come over and be with you and, and that's going to be uh, fine. And then, and then you just kind of move on, I guess, right? I think 
in my own way, I tried to deal with it like throughout university in certain ways. I remember uh, the line of classes that I took in sociology. I, I ended up taking like sociology of death and dying and things like that and, and looked for ways kind of that way to process my experience. But I never really um, had much of a chance to, to process it. Um, I, I think it's kind of followed me throughout my life in some sense of, you know, I never really thought about meaning in life before that. I didn't, I didn't have to think about it. You just kind of had your meaning. It was like, you just kind of do your thing and whatever you're expected to do, your parents tell you to do, or, or you just try to please your parents really in a lot of ways, right? You want to, you want to do them well or make them proud. And that was something I, I think that's something that I really took on was like trying to make my parents proud. So uh, I remember actually before my dad died, this is when he kind of first got sick, but then I found out that I'd gotten into university finally after two years of kind of drifting around, working on the oil rigs and doing all these other, you know, short-term labor jobs and, and working on upgrading my classes. And I finally got in and I remember getting that acceptance letter. And I remember sitting there I was at my kitchen table and my dad like comes over with the letter and he's like, you know, he's like, check this out. And I open the letter and it's like, oh, you know, you've been accepted to the University of Alberta in this course. And, you know, and he just looked at me and he's got this big smile and he's kind of choked up, which was something rare for him. And, and then he gives me this big hug. And that was not something that he was, he would do very often. Right. And so I remember just that, that feeling of, oh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm making my, my family proud, you know. Well, I've been out walking I don't do that much talking These days These days These days I seem to think a lot About the things that I forgot to do And then so, kind of after he died, you know, I had the, the project of going to university and that was one way of making meaning for a while. But then once that ended, it was like, okay, well now what? And I remember and for a long time and I think probably still, you know, you question what, what are you living for? Um, and I had to kind of figure that out on my own. Uh, after all this had happened. Um, this just wasn't something I had to think about before. Uh, yeah, because uh, I was still set after college. I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to law school. Mm -hmm. right? That was just kind of the, you know, in a way, it's an escape, right? You don't, you don't have to think about the decision that you're going to make. You just say, okay, well, that's what I'm going to do. That's, that's what you should do. This is like a nice thing to do. So. Yeah. Uh, so I got out of college and I, was, I had some really cool opportunities. I was working as a re research assistant in the Faculty of Native Studies, so going up to the Northwest Territories, spending time up there talking to uh, First Nations peoples about caribou hunting. It was super cool. Um, did an internship in Botswana. I was working on a sexual health project. It was kind of all over the place. Did a bunch of traveling uh, and also working on oil rigs and things like that. Kind of drifting around a little bit. And then eventually I wrote the LSAT you know, the law school admission test. And, you know, I did fine on that and I had good grades. And so I was going to go to, um, I had to make a decision about going to school, what I wanted to do next. 
And so I still was unsure, so I applied to law school. And then I also uh, applied to a master's program with the professor that I was working with on the, the Native Studies uh, work. And then I also applied just kind of randomly because I had a friend who, who was an occupational therapist and she really, really loved her job and, and uh, enjoyed it a lot. And I said, oh, that sounds kind of cool too. So I applied to that as well. Um, and I got in to law school and I got into occupational therapy school. And then the, with the master's in native studies, it was kind of just like an open invitation for my professor to go and work with her. So I had to make this choice. And I didn't know what to do. I was kind of lost. Right? What, how do you make this decision? You know, it's, how do you decide? Uh, I really had no idea what any of those people did. I didn't ever even gone and like job shadowed anyone. I was just without a map at, completely. And I ended up going, I worked, I was working on the oil rigs for three months in the winter. It was miserable. And then I had saved up my money and I was going to go traveling before I started uh, law school. Right? I was thinking, okay, well, law school or, or occupational therapy school, whatever I decide, it'll happen in September. So I have, uh, you know, the spring area and summer to kind of travel and make this decision. And uh, I started traveling. And I don't know what it was, but... When I started traveling, uh, I was jumping around. I was like, you know, going, I was in Spain and I was in some other places and I was visiting friends. But then once I got away from the friends that I was visiting, I, I don't know, I started to get kind of this, this feeling or this uh, kind of cloud just sort of descended on me. And, and I don't know, like, what it was, I, I couldn't think straight. It was like my thinking was uh, clouded, and it was like a fog in my in my head. I couldn't think straight. I was, you know, just feeling really overwhelmed by all of the decisions that I was thinking about making, and and kind of. Uh, it was really scary. It was like I can't think straight. I, I'm didn't um, want to get involved with things. I like wasn't excited about things. I was kind of just sort of drifting and I was traveling at this time, right? So it's also kind of isolating because you're not around any, any of your friends and all the connections, a lot of the connections you're making are very superficial. You're kind of flitting from place to place and meeting people and, but it's, it's pretty superficial. So I didn't really have anyone to talk to about this stuff. And it got to a point where uh, I was in Turkey and I didn't leave the hostel for an entire week. I just stayed in bed at the hostel in Istanbul. I remember this. And I was like, this feeling in my head, I, I, I couldn't shake it, you know? And I was thinking, is this gonna, am I gonna be like this forever? Like, am I stuck like this? And you know, as someone who really valued their curiosity and their uh, um, intellectual, I guess, uh, pursuits this was really incredibly scary and and overwhelming and i'm yeah i was in a really kind of dark place and i remember actually thinking to myself you know 
I had gotten to a point where I was like, you know, I didn't get out of bed for a whole entire week. I just like had no interest in anything. And I was like, maybe I don't want to do this anymore. Maybe I just want to escape somehow. Right. And the thing that came to mind in, in that state of mind I was in was maybe you should kill yourself. Right. Uh, maybe that would be a, a, an out here. Um, and that was a little bit terrifying, right? Because I'm halfway across the world. I'm not around anybody I know and I'm having these thoughts. I was 25 at the time. Um, and I remember thinking like, you know, I have to do something. I, I, that was a bit of a turning point. It was a bit of a shift because I remember one day I woke up in the hostel and I'm thinking to myself, I started to think about it quite a bit. I was like, what would happen if I, you know, if I did that? What would, how would that affect people? Um, what would happen? I don't know, I was thinking about it a lot and just kept getting more and more overwhelmed and then I thought to myself, you know what, like, either I'm gonna do that and be done with this or I'm gonna not do it and, and, and I'm gonna have to try to make the most of what is going on. I have to make some decisions, I have to choose life and choose something and, and, and dive in. Um, and that was a, a bit of a turning point because it was like, well, you know, I've gotten to my lowest point. I, I can either kill myself or, you know, do the best with, with what I've got now and, and, and make a choice and, and move forward. And so, uh, earlier in that summer, I had actually, uh, made the decision already to, to choose law school. And so I'd accepted that and rejected the, the occupational therapy school admission. And, you know, at this time, after I'd made this decision, I was like freaking out. I was like, oh, like, another kind of weird serendipitous thing when I was traveling, every country I went to, I kept meeting lawyers. Everywhere I went, it was so strange. I'd meet a lawyer uh, in Spain. I met a lawyer in uh, uh, Turkey. I met a lawyer in Cyprus where I went in Egypt. I met a lawyer in Lebanon. I met a lawyer. I met all these lawyers. I don't know why. Maybe I was looking for them. Who knows? Right. <laughs> because I was going to go to law school and I kept meeting them and they were all asking me questions like, you know, do you love the law? Like, are you really excited about, um, you know, making changes and, and working on contracts and doing all these different things? And I was like, no, not really. And they're like, like, why do you want to go to law school? I'm like, well, I don't, I don't know really. Uh, I guess just because it seems like a you know a good and respectable and uh, an interesting job, and every single one of them kept telling me, you know, you're gonna hate your life, <laughs> like you really are gonna hate your life unless unless you're super passionate about this stuff and you're you're in love with it, you're you're not gonna enjoy it at all. Like you are gonna struggle. Oh man, and so. You know, this is also part of what led to me feeling this way, right? Yeah. Feeling overwhelmed because I'd already made this You're, decision yeah. to reject occupational therapy and then to choose law school. So then I'm feeling trapped. Yeah. Right? So I'm feeling kind of trapped and like I made the wrong decision. So I f that, that bit was sort of weighing on me and I'm, you know, I'm just at my limit. And at this point, you know what, being a mental health clinician now, I, I understand all about how to manage stress and how to you know, seek support and do all these things, which I didn't do any of that at the time. So like, I think 
you know, what was happening was I was just overwhelmed with stress and, and my brain was just shut down. It, yeah. I couldn't deal with it anymore. Yeah. And it was, it was trying to help me on its own. It was saying, here, look, just shut it down. Yeah. You, you know, you need to, I don't know, un, unpack somehow and de-stress. And so I, I was like, I need to get out of Turkey. I need to get out of here. Like I'm, I'm in such a dark place here. I need to get out. So I flew to, I flew to Lebanon and, uh, and I get to Lebanon and I don't know, it was like on the plane, on the way there, I kind of had this mind, mind shift. I was like, no, no, like I can't go to law school. I'm not going to do that. Like I'm going to hate my life. I can't do it. And so I'm frantically, I had my laptop at that time and I'm frantically writing an email on the, on the airplane. I'm crafting an email trying to think, okay, shit, you know, I, I need to go to, I, I want to go to occupational therapy school. That's what I want to do. I, I want to go and like help people and, and just, you know, do something worthwhile where I'm around people because that's who I am. I'm a people person. I'm into relationships, not into adver- adversarial things like with, with law school, how that might've been. And so I'm frantically crafting this email on the plane. I'm like, how can I send them an email to the admissions people at the, at the occupational therapy school, not sounding crazy, but at the same time convincing them that they should, you know, reverse my rejection and let me in. Yeah. And so I craft this email and I get to, to Lebanon and I'm sitting in the internet cafe and I'm like, okay, well, I guess here goes. I'm going to, I'm going to tell them, you know, I've had this epiphany while I was traveling and, uh, realized that, you know, Therapy school is, is where I need to be. I need to help people. Uh, I made a mistake. Uh, I hope that you'll kind of consider me again still. Um, and I send off this email and then I just wait. distract myself I met some really good uh, people in, in Lebanon and was traveling around a little bit and was able to distract myself uh, until I got that email and, and I got in and they were like yeah it's it's all good you know you can come to, to school with us and, and so then I rejected law school and decided to go to occupational therapy school instead um, so there was kind of a couple turning points in there I suppose to make that decision, I still felt a little bit terrified and trapped because, you know, if they said no, I was like, oh no, like, I'm going to go to law school and I'm going to hate it. And, you know, at the t- now, like, looking back, it seems really silly because it's like, well, of course, there's all kinds of other options, right? You, you just don't go to law school, right? <laughs> uh, it's not that hard, you know? But at the time, when you're so overwhelmed, yeah. your brain is not working properly. You're not, you don't see all the other options. You only see, you've got like this tunnel vision. Mm-hmm. You're not able to sort of think clearly because I wasn't thinking clearly, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's easy to say from the outside or from hindsight to say, oh, that's dumb. Like, why didn't you just, 
uh, not go and just take a little bit of time off and, and kind of figure things out. But, you know, it wasn't how my mind was working at the time. You get so caught up in this stuff. And not having people around me, close to me, to, to, to bounce ideas off of and to talk to and to reach out to, not having those skills to know how to reach out to somebody, uh, I, wasn't, I didn't do that. And so, I, uh, you know, I got where I was. So anyways, it, I was kind of panicking for a week and then, and then I get that email and it's like, oh, feeling this incredible sense of relief and that like a cloud just lifted off of my brain. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it was, it was weird because then I could think, I could think clearly again. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it just sort of lifted. And, and I spent this incredible um, bit of time uh, in Lebanon and then I did a little bit more traveling uh, and then I went home and, but it wasn't all, it wasn't out of the woods yet. You know, I thought, okay, I made this decision. Things are going to be peachy keen and things will be great. But the cloud doesn't, doesn't lift. It's still kind of there and it's kind of hanging there, right? Because I've got this, I get into school and it's maybe not what I expected it to be and I'm not super excited about it and I'm just kind of going through and going through the motions and. And I'm like, ugh, did I make the right decision? Oh, God. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> you know? And, and I'm kind of struggling still. And I'm not able to focus and pay attention to my studies. And I, I can't remember things. And this is also really stressing me out because this whole time I'm thinking, like, is there something wrong with my brain? Am I sick? Like, what's going on? You know, I can't think. Uh, previously, I'd always been able to just remember things really well. Like I didn't have to study much because I could just kind of breeze through and I was really struggling uh, in making my way. And it wasn't until later on that I kind of found something that really spoke to me that the cloud lifted again and I'd kind of found a new path. Um, And that didn't happen until, uh, I guess it was my about a year into the program, or the master's program. And I worked with one of my professors. She had this program going doing uh, occupational therapy with, with veterans, Canadian veterans who had been uh, in, in uh, the former Yugoslavia, doing peacekeeping there, and dealing with all kinds of trauma and things like that that they experienced there. And I remember the, the first time that I went to as an intern to kind of sit in on the on the on the group that she ran with them, and I remember that was a moment. And it was like when I look back on it now, it was like falling in love, but with the thing that you're supposed to do or that you feel called to do. And I was like, oh, like I, you know, I remember one time when the professor and the other the psychologist who was in the group they like left the room, and it was just me and the guys. And they start telling me kind of war stories and, and their experiences. And I remember just getting this feeling of just welling up inside, you know. Like, and it really felt like falling in love. Uh, but it was with this thing that I was going to do. And I was like, this is what I want to do. Like, I want to work with these guys and guys like them and, or girls like them, women like them. Men and women, I should say. Uh, and I was like, okay, this is it. I found my thing. And then the cloud lifts again. And 
I get on this new path. Um, and so I start exploring, okay, uh, what, what do I have to do to kind of, I want to work with veterans. I want to, I want to help them somehow in their rehabilitation and their readjustment. And I start exploring opportunities, you know, uh, is it going to be through, um, brain injury rehabilitation or physical rehabilitation or, or, uh, mental health rehabilitation and how can I get there? How can I, how can I get into this niche for myself? Cause it, it is a niche, especially in Canada. Um, we don't have a lot of veterans. I mean, we, we have some, but you know, we haven't been in, it's not like down here where you've got, you know, 10% of the population or something like that is, is either a veteran or active duty. Um, so I'm like, how can I get into this line of work? And I'm looking and looking and looking for opportunities and it wasn't easy because I wanted to keep doing this. Uh, but I had to find the opportunities. Um, and that's kind of what I do now is I hear people's stories and I get to be part of their stories, which is also really neat, I think, in a way. And that's different from journalism in the sense that in journalism, you, you hear people's stories and you tell their stories right, to the world or to other people. But you don't necessarily get involved with it unless you're kind of a gonzo journalist like Hunter S. Thompson or something yeah. like that. Um, but here as a therapist uh, in helping people to, helping veterans to, uh, you know, readjust or reclaim their lives or move forward in their in their journey, you, you're kind of part of that journey and you get to kind of run alongside them uh, in that journey, which is also, you know, in some ways kind of what I wanted, but even, even more so than what I wanted. Like if I think about the journalist piece, right, is getting to actually be part of that journey. Um, that I feel really fortunate to be able to do that. You know, you get to where you maybe need to be. Yeah. Um, I remember there was a couple of other moments too. You know, there was the, that experience in the group kind of falling in love with that work. And then I remember there was another experience too. I mean, obviously, I didn't mention though my, my youngest brother, um, when he was he was twenty four, and you know he'd been living in Canada. We're dual citizens. He'd been living in Canada. He always was interested in the in the military, but he didn't go that way. He didn't go that line of work uh, until he was twenty four, twenty five, and then all of a sudden he decides, oh, uh, I'm gonna go join the Marine Corps. <laughs> We're like, what? And he drives down to Montana and enlists in the Marine Corps. And, you know, they said to him, you know, oh, well, we have a job for you in communications or something like that. And he said, no, I want to be infantry or I'm going back to Canada, basically. And they're like, okay, well, you can be infantry. <laughs> and so this was kind of also happening at the time I was in school. And so this was kind of also kind of uh, getting my interest along that way because, you know, he goes off to Afghanistan. And he's a he's a, a gunner in Afghanistan. He rides around on the top of the uh, armored vehicle and shoots the fifty caliber machine gun off the top of the thing. So I'm thinking about my little brother in Afghanistan, and then I remember also another moment that was kind of a key point was I went down uh, on a spring break to Portland, and I was in the the bookstore Powell Books, you know, this massive bookstore, and I remember picking up this book. Um, it was a, one of those huge coffee table photography books, you know, mm -hmm. 
and uh, it's kind of photojournalism about uh, war and the kind of the after effects of war on people. And I pick it up. It was called War is Personal by, I think it was his name is Eugene Richardson. I have to check on that, but I think it was Eugene Richardson. I pick it up. It's all of these photos of, you know, either military veterans who would experience, you know, things like a brain injury or having their arms and legs uh, blown off. And, you know, maybe they're gonna, they're using a wheelchair now or they're having to really relearn how to walk or maybe they've died and the pictures are of their family members and maybe the grief and, and the after effects of, of war on those people. And I'm not an emotional guy or, and maybe I am now, but I hadn't been. And I, hadn't, I didn't usually express a lot of emotions aside from anger or happiness. Um, and I, I started crying in, in the bookstore while looking at this book um, and, and looking at these pictures and reading the stories of, of these you know, men and women who uh, either had served or, or they had family members who had served and, and kind of the negative, a lot of the negative impacts that, that the war had had on them. And I, again, I was just moved, you know, and I was, oh, I want to, I want to do something or, or somehow be a part of this and, and uh, help people in this journey. And, and then also kind of walking around the streets and you would see uh, folks on the street, you know, with their signs, I'm a homeless veteran, can you help? And, and then there's spray paint, graffiti around the statistics about the amount of the number of homeless veterans and all this other stuff, just being so moved and, and thinking, how can I help? How can I, uh, I don't know, try to make things better at least a little bit. And so that also combined with the experience that I gained from that group kind of led me on this path and, and, and to try to find a way to get, to get into that work. Um, and that wasn't easy either. That was, that took some, some creative finagling. Um, <laughs> so I ended up uh, applying for this scholarship to go to another conference in brain injury rehab down in uh, uh, San Jose, I think it was, because I was like, well, the closest thing I can get is maybe I can work in brain injury rehab and I can work with, uh, I, can, I can do brain injury rehab maybe with, with veterans. Maybe, yeah. maybe after I'm done, I can try to get down there and, and try to work on it because that's you know the signature injury of the war is in Iraq and Afghanistan is, is brain injury and stuff like that so maybe I can get down there and do that so I go to this conference and again I'm just uh, trying to meet as many people as possible and, and see what I can come up with and uh, I ended up getting a, an internship in brain injury rehab down in Santa Barbara which led to a, an internship that I sought out in uh, Napa at the state psychiatric hospital Okay, um, and I ended up doing work there uh, with folks who had been found guilty, but by reason of insanity. And so I worked with folks with really serious kind of um, psychiatric disabilities. And I really loved that. And I was like, oh, I want to do this. Yeah, but with veterans somehow. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, I finished my degree, and I'm kind of thinking to myself, okay. How am I going to do this? I, I, I guess I need to go down to the States somehow and, and figure this out. So I go back down to the U.S. and I'm living in California and kind of just working at some random job 
that has nothing to do with my field. I was I was doing seismic retrofitting, like hammering bolts into walls just to get some money coming in and pouring wine in Napa uh, as a as a like serve uh, server and just doing these random things. And through one of the contacts I had met or, or interacted with in all of my cold calling, they remembered me. And even though the internship had fallen through, they sent me this uh, link for a, a fellowship that is uh, psychosocial rehabilitation with veterans. This year-long fellowship and clinical training at like six sites across the US in the VA. And they send me this thing. They're like, oh, you know, sorry that we weren't able to offer that internship, but here, check this thing out. You might be interested in it. And I said, oh, this is exactly what I'm interested in. So I apply for that uh, while I'm busy studying for the US exam, the board exam, and I write that and everything. And, and I apply for this, this internship or this fellowship. And uh, again, I'm doing some pretty mind-numbing jobs. I'm like putting stickers on wine bottles in a factory and I'm yeah hammering these bolts up into the ceiling things and and then uh, I start hearing back from the sites the intern sites and I did like Skype interviews so I didn't even actually get to meet the people in person yeah and that was really tough for me because I don't know I'm a people person and I like to be with people in person I don't think you're it's hard to convey your energy just across the phone right yeah um and so the first site, I get a response from them. And they say, yeah, you know, we really liked your stuff. We really liked your um, your portfolio and, you know, your resume and all these kind of thing. And But uh, we actually had to go with the other candidate. Uh. And so I'm like, oh, no. This is so, this is a bummer. And, and, I, and then I don't hear back from the other site. And they say, uh, yeah, actually, we're going to go with, another candidate as well and so I'm like oh no <laughs> you know, it's I'm not gonna get it I'm, I'm yeah. just like miserable again and I'm crushed and then and then finally the third site gets back to me and they're like we're you know you're in we're gonna we're gonna take you and I just was over the moon uh, I remember just like leaping for joy uh, I think it was in the wine bottle factory at that time <laughs> <laughs> and and I got it and, and then I went and, yeah. and I did it and like fast forward to now, you are a, what, what's the, because you're doing the real work now. Yeah. So yeah, I ended up getting a permanent position at the San Francisco uh, Veterans Affairs Medical Center um, in the Psychosocial Rehabilitation and Recovery Center, which specifically serves veterans with um, psychiatric disabilities or um, Serious mental illness is what they refer to it as, uh, serious and persistent mental illness. So um, diagnoses like schizophrenia, uh, major depression, really severe PTSD, um, and bipolar disorder, uh, but such that they're really, really struggling. Like maybe they've been homeless or maybe they've uh, really had a lot of difficulty in relationships or in work or, or in kind of finding their way. And we help, you know, help them build skills and, and develop the supports that they might need to to pursue the things that are important to them. Uh, and, and yeah, and that's what I'm doing now. I'm where I want to be now. Yeah. Um, it was a long, long road and, and very circuitous and unexpected and had no idea what, if you talk to me, you know, 
two, even three, three years ago, you know, I had no idea where I would be. And, and here I am now. If you had a piece of advice to give someone younger or a younger version of yourself, what would the advice be? Oh man, that's tough. That's really tough because I don't know. It's hard to say because if I give myself some advice, maybe I don't end up where I am now. Right. Um, but just someone else who's yeah. young, you know, starting out like they're not on the other side of <laughs> yeah of this yet. Yeah, trust, trust in the process. You know, um, be patient, and just kind of keep exploring and keep your mind open and be open to the opportunities. You know, um, yeah, to just be patient and to be open-minded because you never know what opportunities are going to lead you to where you need to be um, or where you want to be I guess or you may not even you might not even know where you where you might want to be until you get there yeah right um, and then you realize oh actually this is where I want to be because um, I think that's a hard part for a lot of us who maybe didn't have that sort of singular drive and focus that we see out there you know you, you, you we've all got that friend who was who was like I'm gonna be a doctor I'm gonna be a like a heart surgeon and that's all they ever wanted to be and they work singularly towards that goal forever and they become a heart surgeon you know and but for a lot of us that's not how it it works you know or, or it's not the case to my younger self I would just kind of try to say be patient you know it doesn't have to happen all at once it doesn't have to happen right now you'll get there to where you need to be and to you know don't be a, don't forget to live life in the meantime yeah uh, to enjoy where you're at and I think oftentimes what happens is you're, you're going towards point B or you're thinking you're going towards point B and then, I don't know, point B is not where you thought it was or it's not what it, you thought it was. Yeah. Some point B is actually point C or point D. It's some destination that's totally different from what you thought it was going to look like or what it was going to be. So there is no map. Do you ever, do you ever...